An old English poet called William Blake once wrote this. He said, joy and woe are woven fine, a clothing for the soul divine. Under every grief and pine runs a joy with silken twine. It is right, it should be so, that man was made for joy and woe. And when this we rightly know, through the world we'll safely go. We all have seasons of great joy and terrible sorrow uh, in our lives. One day it can feel like we're partying and we're praising God and we're enjoying the festivities of family and friends. And then the next day we can feel numb in our souls. We're kind of searching for God and we can't find him. Perhaps your pillow is soggy with tears. And yet those around you don't really know what's wrong with you. And there can be waves of frustration and disheartening events that crash over us and make us feel as if we're about to drown. It might have been the last 12 months. It might have been one particular episode in your life that you've experienced, or it might be the cumulative effect of life as we know it that has left you struggling. It might have been coronavirus. It might have been lockdown. It might have been your job. It might have been something that's happened in, a, in your family or your extended family. It might be something that one of your children is going through. It might be your marriage situation that's a struggle. And the Psalms help us to make sense of the things that we face in life. The Psalms are songs and poems that are written to God's people to awaken and to help us express and to help us shape our emotional lives. They are intended to shape our minds about what we think and they're intended to shape our hearts about what we feel. And this morning we're going to read two Psalms together, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, that go together, that form one song of three verses and then there's a chorus that keeps getting repeated. Like, a, like any kind of modern pop song or even a contemporary worship song, the chorus is the thing that gets repeated because the chorus is the thing it's the hook that someone wants us to take away. And these are beautiful, hopeful words for someone, anyone, or all of us who are downcast, whether this morning or at some point in the future. So let me read God's word, Psalm 42 into 43. And this is what God says. To the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? So these things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me and Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls, and all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? 
Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth and let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. And then I may go to the altar of God to guard my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lie, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. God's word to us. Now, we don't know the exact circumstance of what's affecting and distressing the psalmist, but we do get a few hints in these two psalms. In 42 verses 3 and 10, we get this indication that external circumstances are pressing down on him. They're very difficult, that there are enemies involved and there are things that he's facing that are hard, that he needs deliverance from. He needs God to be his refuge and he needs justice to be done. So difficult circumstances. Then we're told a few times that he's being taunted by his enemies. Where is your God? And so this implies really that something has gone wrong that's obvious to everybody around the psalmist in such a way that they're saying, your God has abandoned you, he's rejected you, he's left you, he's not real, he's not here for you, is he? And in verse 2 and 4 then we also see uh, some indication that the psalmist is unable to gather with God's people, that he's somehow cut off from worshipping with God's people in the gathered community. He feels cut off from the presence and the blessing of God and in verse 7 he talks about these kind of waterfalls and and breakers and waves this this is an image of kind of unruly water that's kind of washing over the psalmist and making him feel as if he's about to drown because of the situation so he's kind of up to his neck in it so although we can't identify specifically with his external circumstances we probably can all identify with his internal emotional conditions Look at how he describes himself in verse 1. He says his soul feels parched and dry. Verse 3, that he cries out day and night. Verse 6, he feels distant and separated from God. Verse 7, as we've said, he feels like he's drowning. Verse 9, really the most, perhaps one of the most poignant verses, he's discouraged to the point of wondering whether God has forgotten him and whether God even really cares about him at all. And then there's that refrain, that chorus, verse 5, verse 11, and then chapter five, uh, sorry, verse 5 of Psalm 43, where the psalmist describes himself as being downcast and with turmoil within him. This idea that darkness seems to be his closest friend at the moment. And so Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 are psalms of struggle. They are pictures of one of God's people being under attack or feeling under attack or feeling spiritually parched or feeling shut off or shut out from God, not knowing where relief or uh, escape is to be found or when it might come. And that he's experiencing emotions that he really just can't escape from. 
And so this psalm helps us all in times that we might identify with the psalmist. He's experiencing really a kind of almost like a crisis of faith that is triggered by his sense of the absence of God. And perhaps we can all identify because our faith is not constant, it's fluid. It's like a roller coaster, it goes up and down. It's changeable, it fluctuates. We can move on a spectrum from all out kind of spiritual depression, if you like, to feeling downcast and in turmoil to just feeling a bit dry and parched. So what do we do? What do we do in those moments when trouble strikes us? What do we do in those times where it seems like God is distant and the heavens are like brass and and nothing is reaching him? What do we do when we feel alone, when we're isolated, when we feel under attack? What What do we do when it feels like no one knows and no one understands what I'm going through, that no one... No one realizes that my faith is is like flickering like a smoldering wick and I feel like it's going to go out. What do we do when darkness seems to be our closest friend? Well, what does the psalmist do? The psalmist offers his solution in poetic language in verse 1, where he says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you Oh God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come again before him? His solution is God himself. He tells God he's thirsty. He tells God that his soul is parched and dry and shriveled and that he knows that it's only God who can revive him. It's only God that can quench his spiritual thirst. And if you notice, the the things that he prays about in this psalm are not relief from his threatening and difficult experiences. He doesn't even pray for escape from his enemies or for God to smite those enemies, although he certainly does in some other Psalms, but here he prays that he would know God more than anything else. He wants to know God more. He wants to experience fellowship with God again. He wants to see God. He wants to be with God. He wants to be with God's people. He wants to commune with God. And he wants to be satisfied in God again. And because that's his overarching desire, he doesn't surrender to the emotion of discouragement or depression. In fact, he fights back. And he fights for hope. And so we see that in that chorus in verse 5 and in verse 11 and in verse 5 of chapter 43. The psalmist is not wallowing in self-pity. We shouldn't read his questions oh, like, uh, why are you downcast, O oh my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? He's not spending his energies trying to dissect his problems and his inner thoughts and trying to figure out why he's downcast. He's exhorting himself to exercise the muscles of faith and fight back. And fight off his spiritual depression that he might be feeling and fight off those feelings of discouragement and instead hope in God. There's three ways in this psalm that the psalmist is fighting back against his feelings of spiritual dryness, of feeling inner turmoil, of feeling downcast, of feeling spiritually depressed. So don't you want to know what those three ways are so that we can fight? Hope you do. First one is this. He remembers He remembers. Look at verse 4 with me. In verse 4, he says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with shouts, glad shouts and songs of praise. He calls to mind an experience and the times where God was close, where he knew the joy of the Lord, 
where he knew the presence of God's community and the privilege of gathering together with God's people for corporate worship. Now, don't misunderstand me. This is not him engaging in nostalgia like, oh, do you remember the days when we used to sing, terrible as an army with banners? They were the days, weren't they? No, he's saying, in the midst of my dryness and in the midst of my discouragement, I need to remember that I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. That I have known his goodness. And in doing so, he hopes that that will create a fresh appetite for God. So he remembers who God is, but he, does, he doesn't just remember that. He also remembers something else. This is verses 5 to 8. He remembers who God is and the nature and the character of the God that he knows and he worships. You know, one of the most important things that we can do in moments of darkness is remember the truths that we learned in the light. So when darkness strikes, it's, it's very easy for us to think that, has God changed? Has he moved? Is he not in the heavens anymore? Is he not somewhere where I can find him? Has, have his promises changed? Have they failed or have they shifted? Sometimes in the darkness we can say, where's the light? Where's the light? But what the psalmist is doing in verses 5 to 11 is he's remembering that even though he's in the darkness, the light still shines. It's a little bit like, um, uh, I was trying to think of an example of this. When I went, this isn't a perfect example, but here's one. If you, if you go out early in the morning for an airplane flight, so I was going to Belarus a few years ago, and I had to be at Bristol Airport for like four in the morning, and it was February, and it was cold, and it was dark, and it was misty, and it was foggy, and it was raining, and it was miserable, and we sat on the runway in this tiny little plane with one person either side of the aisle, and we had to take turns to breathe because it was so small, this plane. And you sit there and it's miserable, but within two, three minutes of takeoff, you are up and above the clouds and you find even at four o'clock in the morning, the sun is shining above the clouds. And on the ground, you can't see it. But when you get above the clouds, when you get a different perspective, you remember that, oh, the sun, yeah, the sun is shining over there. And then when we came into Belarus and we went back through the clouds and it was dark and it was cold and it was snow on the ground and it was minus 10 and it was freezing. And you have to remember, the sun is still shining. That's what the psalmist is doing here. He's remembering that the sun is still shining. He's recalling the character and nature of God, the sovereignty of God in verse seven, that even though it might feel like God has forgotten him, he still remembers that God is sovereign. So much so that he says the the unruly waters, the waterfalls, the breakers, the waves that have washed over him, they're God's waves, they're God's breakers, he says. Recognizing that God is in control of all things, the pleasant and the difficult the prosperity and the adversity. God is sovereign over doing the dishes. He's sovereign over health scares. He's sovereign over financial markets. He's sovereign over struggling marriages. He's the sovereign over difficulties with children. He's sovereign over the mistakes we make, the wins and losses we experience and everything else. But if you're like me, sometimes our default belief can be, well, God is at work in the brilliant, but he's not so much in the tragic. And we can easily look around our world and our lives that is so scarred with failure and tragedy and broken with sorrow. And we can wonder, how can this mess serve any purpose? Perhaps you look back on the last 12 months, you think, man, what have we learned from the last 12 months? What, how can there be any purpose to the mess that we've been through? 
Or maybe you phrase your question like this, I, how can God be, both be sovereign and good and still I've lived this life? Well, the psalmist would say you need to remember. We will not survive without remembering that God is sovereign over the wind and the waves. And although all the evidence of our world and even the fears of our hearts might suggest otherwise, Scripture consistently reminds us that God upholds everything by the word of his power. Colossians 1, Hebrews 1. That in the joys and the sorrows, God is sovereign and wise. But he's not finished there. He remembers something else in verse 8. He remembers the steadfast love of the Lord. Look at what he says. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love. Now you might be wondering what that means really. Well the word command is, is a word that's used in the military. So in the war, if you like, being fought in the darkness of your soul, God is the, is the military commander. He's the captain of the army and he is commanding his steadfast love and his loving kindness to march forward into your life and into my life and into our hearts and to invade the souls of his people so that we might experience the conquering power of his love. That's what he's talking about. The Lord commands his love. He says, get up, love, and march and conquer the hearts and souls of my people so that they might know the victory and the peace and the joy that I am in charge, that I'm in control, and that I love them and that I'm for them, that I'm faithful and that I'm good. And the psalmist reminds himself of that. The Lord's love is commanded towards his people. It's active towards his people. It's a reality towards his people. And in the midst of difficult circumstances and discouraging waves of life, the psalmist remembers these things. He never loses his grip on the great truths of God. They're, they're like the ballast for his little boat. So being tossed, this little boat being tossed and turned on the wave of his emotions, these truths are like boys on the side of his boat. They keep him upright. They stop him from capsizing. They help him. So we fight for hope by remembering. We fight for hope by remembering. Now, two shorter points. We fight for hope by speaking to God. This is what the psalmist does. He speaks to God in verse 8. He says, uh, having recognized that the Lord commands his steadfast love towards his people, he then says this, at night his song is within me or is with me, and a prayer to the God of my life. So he, he's giving us an indication that he is praying to God and talking to God about his struggles. One of the awesome promises of scripture is that God always hears his people's cries. He never turns a deaf ear to us. The sovereign Lord of the heavens and the earth invites us to come into his presence and to bring our cries before him. And we have free and full access to our Heavenly Father, who is the source of all wisdom, of all power, of all goodness and all grace. And he hears us no matter how faint our cry. He hears us no matter how riddled with doubts our cry is. He hears us no matter how dark the storm clouds might be. And he always promises to respond. We talked about lament at the beginning of the year from Psalm 13. And I would just encourage you again. This is what the psalmist is doing here in Psalm 42. He's crying out to God. He's lamenting. He's telling God very bluntly how he feels. And he's setting an example for us that when pain creates struggles or hard questions within us, we're supposed to talk to God about them. Even if it's messy, 
Even if it's awkward, lamenting is better than faking it or pretending it's not real or ignoring God or running from him. Find a psalm that identifies with your particular struggle at the moment. Perhaps it's Psalm 10 or Psalm 13 or Psalm 42 or Psalm 77 or any one of a number of lamenting psalms. And use these psalms and these songs, God's songs within me. Maybe even the psalmist wrote Psalm 42 at the time where he says, By day the Lord commands his steadfast love. But at night when I'm really struggling, when I'm lying in bed and I don't know what to think and my emotions are swamping me, his song is with me. What do I say? I pray. I talk to God. Let some of the songs that we sing become prayers that we pray. You know, what about the words of like, great is thy faithfulness or it is well with my soul or the old hymns, whatever my God ordains is right or God moves in mysterious ways. These are all hymns and songs that we could turn into prayers that acknowledge both the difficulty of life and the goodness and sovereignty of God. And they help us to express our trust and we can turn them into prayers. And that's what the psalmist does. He speaks to God. So he remembers and he speaks to God. And then thirdly and finally, one of the ways in which he hopes is by speaking to himself. By speaking to himself. As we've said, the chorus is repeated throughout this song three times in verse 5, in verse 11, and verse 43, uh, chapter 43, verse 5. And it's a repeated part of the song because it's the crucial part. It's the part where the psalmist talks to himself. Where he speaks to himself and he preaches to himself. It's like the psalmist gets himself by the scruff of the neck and he gets in his face and he begins to speak to himself. He says to himself, hope in God. You might be downcast right now. You might be struggling right now, but hope in God. Why? Because you will praise him again. He's basically saying to himself, this feeling that you are experiencing will pass. This season of difficulty, it, it will end at some point. This miserable emotion that you're experiencing, it will fade. Your depression might feel very profound right now, but it's not permanent. And it's not fatal. You will praise God again. At the very least, Revelation 21 tells us that God is making all things new. And that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. So if right now on earth we're, we're crying tears of regret or guilt or loss or separation or pain or loneliness or, or from painful memories, God reminds us through his word that we will see him face to face and he will come and wipe away all of those tears from your eyes. And we'll praise him again. So hope in God, the psalmist says. But then he says this, hope in God. Why? Because he is my God and my salvation. That when external circumstances are challenging us, when our inner turmoil in our souls is getting us down and we're struggling, we must remind ourselves that he is our God and that he is our salvation. If the psalmist was here this morning, he would say it like this. You've got to preach the gospel to yourself every day. Which is a familiar tone and theme for us 
Because on this side of the cross, the greatest ground of our hope and the reason that we can say he's my God and the reason that we have salvation is Jesus crucified for sins, risen and triumphant over Satan's sin and death. And so what do we say? We say with Paul in Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. There is no thing that can separate us from the love of God. So the psalmist would be here this morning and he would say this, you can remind yourself of the hope that you have in the darkness of the night because of your God, your salvation, Jesus Christ. We fight for hope by remembering who God is, by remembering his goodness and faithfulness to us. We, we speak to him and we pray and we cry out and we ask him and we ask him for help and power and grace. And we speak to ourselves and we say, if God is for us in the person and work of Jesus Christ, who or what can be against us? What can separate us from his love? Nothing. Not even the worst things that we might face that is Capsulated in that word death. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Why? Because he's commanded it towards us. So we all have days and weeks where we feel downcast and our souls are full of turmoil. The question is not why, but what? Not why are you downcast? Don't spend all your energies trying to dissect your internal feelings, but spend the primary energies of your day reminding yourself about God, speaking to God about your need of him and preaching the gospel to yourself. Now, before we finish, let me just say one more thing. This is not a three-step plan that means if you do it, you will never experience depression or sadness or sorrow or difficulty in your life ever again. Like somehow you just do these three things and you'll be fixed. That is naive. There are no quick fixes to untangling our emotions. You, you get that from the psalm. At the end of Psalm 43, the psalmist is still in the same place that he was at the beginning of Psalm 42, if you like. He closes out with these words, hope in God, for I shall again praise him. He's still having to talk to himself. He's still having to remind himself. He's still having to fight for joy. He's not where he wants to be. He's not where he longs to be. The darkness might still be lingering. The darkness might return. It might hit him in wave after wave that causes him still to struggle and still to wrestle with things that he thought he had gone through. But he keeps fighting the fight of faith. He keeps hoping in God. And because this God is faithful and good and sovereign and does not abandon his own, he will draw the psalmist to himself one, once again. And the light of this God's face will shine upon him. And it will shine upon you and me because there is hope, because there is Christ. Let me close with this quote that I read this week from Corey Ten Boom, who lived during the Second World War and... Um, was a great aid in the, in the Jewish escape from the Nazis. She says this, if you look at the world, you will be distressed. And if you look within, you will be depressed. But if you look to Christ, you will be at rest. Let's pray.